If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next familiar is going to be an unforgettable element of the party, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how can we weave our familiars into the narrative of our games without overdoing it? And what could inspire co-players to see your familiar as something to interact with? And what are pets without accessories? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So today we're talking about that classic wizardly companion, the familiar, and the spell that conjures them into the world. You know, I've always thought that familiars were an interesting and engaging character option, though I've always been generally too intimidated by having to build a whole other character. (laughs) I have one character with one familiar, and I always have this like lingering, terrible feeling, this huge weight hanging over me to do something good with that familiar to like make it great. Wow, yeah, you're thinking it's too much planning. Whereas me, I go in the opposite direction. I think they're so appealing for my characters, mostly uh, on the surface level. I just like to make them like a recurring gag is the way I handle familiars usually. Yeah. Super shallow. (laughs) But I think they're such a popular character option because they're a magical creature that your character gets to have this deep and mysterious bond with. You get to figure out what they look like, how they act. Mechanically, they're incredibly capable. There is a lot of fun that you can have with the mechanics to help bolster your character and its abilities. Yeah, and they can just be anything you want them to be. They can be cute or terrifying or cool. They can add flavor to everything that you do. They can add story, give your character an emotional connection. There's a lot of potential here. Maybe that's what I'm intimidated by, is using them to the best of their abilities. Because clearly, there's a lot of potential here. Yeah. The problems that we run the risk of coming up against when we use familiars. Now, I've DM'd a lot of games where people had familiars, and these are problems that I constantly see keep coming up. So we have a familiar, and it's kind of hard to get anyone else in the party invested in that familiar. It's just always kind of hovering on the sidelines. You kind of know it's there, but it's never really there. And honestly, when I've played a character with one, I forget I even have it until I need it. Right. Like it shows up 10 sessions later when we need a spy. And then I say, oh, yeah, I've got this dirty old cat in my bag. (laughs) (laughs) He can do it. It. I mean, dirty old cat is kind of on the nose because the next problem that I see constantly is that they just become some weird overused punchline. There's nothing really kind of emotionally grounding. They're just kind of there. And then at best, they are just a one note joke. And even if you do put a lot of time and energy developing your familiar, it can be hard to get that across because even with characters, it's hard to get across all of that work you've put in. But now stack that on top of the fact that this is a side character that doesn't even have the capability for speech. And it gets a lot harder to tell your party 
all of the nuances and details that you've cooked up. Well, and I think that is in and of itself another problem is that they can, like I'm talking about, become incredibly unwieldy. Now I gotta, you know, if I really want to make an emotional connection with this creature, uh, I gotta think of a backstory, and and <laughs> it's gotta, you know, it's it's just gonna become more of a problem than it's really worth. I wanted a familiar because I wanted my character to have a, uh, you know, a cool bat companion, and also the mechanicals, right, are cool. Didn't want to write a ten-page backstory for your oh, frog. That sounds like such <laughs> a labor. Indeed. I think what we aim to do with this episode, we need to figure out what is that middle ground? What is just enough to get other players in the party invested without going overboard, without making it a labor? We need to find that perfect Goldilocks zone when it comes to familiars that's just the right amount of effort to put in to get maximum payback and maximum reward. So now before you dismiss this episode, as, hey, I don't have a familiar, I might not be so interested in listening to this entire episode. These same steps that we're going to talk about in this episode today, well, they apply to the ranger's animal companion. They apply to your pet or your mount or really any other creature that exists within your game. So there's a lot of flexibility here. And well, I think you'll see. So let's do that in the strategy stateroom. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So before we get too deep, let's take a quick look at the spell, Find Familiar. It's a pretty rich spell. There's a lot to it. The first thing to get you on board with this is that it goes automatically to wizards and warlocks can pick it up with a subclass, but... Any class can get it if they want it bad enough within the rules of D&D. You've got feats and subclasses and all kinds of cross-classing options. There is, of course, a pathway to getting a familiar that some would consider unnatural. Going in deep into character here. Oh, no, that's Palpatine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's famous for summoning his familiars, right? <laughs> He's famous for the line, fuckface. <laughs> All right, quick mechanics time. It's casting time is an hour. Yeah, that really kind of makes it one of those things that takes some time. Like, I think that's something that people misunderstand about this spell is you're not just whipping out. You know, as soon as your familiar dies, you can't just be like, come on back in. Yeah, it's going to take an hour. It's not going to happen immediately. You can't do it in the middle of a dungeon. Like it's it's take some time. Yeah. You're bringing your familiar into situations. You're preparing your familiar. You're not whipping them out. Right. And its components are kind of neat because its material ones actually have some flavor to them. Ten gold pieces worth of charcoal, incense, and herbs that must be consumed by fire in a brass brazier. And again, it's not just a cast as many times as you want. Like, these are all components. If, you've, if you're dealing with spell components, if your DM cares. Yeah. But it is important to note that this takes some time. This takes some resources. Tangle pieces is kind of a lot when you're lower level. Yeah. You know, this is not just go willy nilly, go ham. Because you could find a rat in the street for a lot less than 10 gold pieces if all you're looking for is a pet. Yeah. But a magical companion costs some scratch. Right. 
and into the spell. You gain the service of a familiar, a spirit that takes an animal form that you choose. The options here are fun, but endless. Bat, rat, crab, frog, hawk, lizard, octopus, owl, poisonous snake, fish, rat, raven, seahorse, spider, weasel. And it actually goes on. As soon as you add the warlock subclass pack to the chain, then you get imp and... Uh, Pseudo-dragon. Pseudo-dragon and fairy and... I don't know. There's there's quite a few. Yeah, and it does specify that the creature is actually a celestial fey or fiend, your choice instead of a beast. However much spice you want to put on that is up to you. I think you need to put max spice. <laughs> and that demon toad that you have summoned is full of all kinds of spikes. Right. And there's, it's got red glowing eyes and it smokes all the time. It's got 16 tongues. Yeah. Well, like smoke cigars too. <laughs> yes, it says that one kind liners. of smoking. Yeah, <laughs> your familiar acts independently of you, but always obeys your commands. So it has its own initiative. It acts on its own turn, but it can't attack. You know, I think I would probably just have it act on the character's turn. Simplicity here. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Adding more turns. I mean, this is DM preference kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while your familiar is within 100 feet of you, you can communicate with it telepathically. Always useful. On top of that, as an action, you can see through your familiar's eyes and hear what it hears until the start of your next turn, gaining the benefits of any special senses that the familiar has. And during this time, you're also oblivious to the world around you. Like you're just sitting there completely unaware as to what's happening near your body while you're seeing and hearing through you're familiar. Yeah, and I think that's a really cool in-game moment. It provides for a lot of conflict and you've got to be protected if it's a dangerous situation. All kinds of possibilities there. Well, there's stakes, right? Yeah. Like, that's what we need in here. It adds a little bit of drama to s using some of these abilities. And as an action, when temporarily dismissed, you can bring it back. So you can just tuck it into a little pocket dimension. I dig that flavor but I mean, that is part of the problem is that we've got, I don't know, I feel like this was Wizards of the Coast trying to give a mechanical reason for why they're never <laughs> interacting with the rest of the party in between useful stints. Yeah, so forgotten. And if you cast the spell while you've already got your familiar out, you can even cause it to take a new form. This is super cool. Because you can just keep morphing that familiar. It's still the same creature. It's still that fey, fiend, or celestial. It's still the same entity, but it's taken on a new form. So if you are ever getting tired of your familiar, you just give it a makeover. There it's now go. something different. Yeah. And it's equally demonic. Or maybe it only gets, you know, half transformed to something. So you got a half frog, half bat. It can jump and fly. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, uh, considering that you're actually using some of its mechanical stats. Yeah, uh, but what what mechanical advantage does a frog <laughs> jump get you? Come on, give it to me. Fair enough. <laughs> and one of those powerful abilities this spell gives is when you cast a spell with a range of touch, your familiar can deliver the spell as if it had cast the spell. So there's a lot to this mechanically. It's one of the most useful spells in my repertoire. Because it's got incomparable spy and scouting capabilities. It makes every touch attack you do as a spellcaster into a ranged attack if you want. 
And you can use the help action within reason too. And for the only reason that I'm going to take the find familiar spell or play a wizard is simply so that I can deliver a touch spell attack by fastballing a demon toad towards <laughs> my enemies. There you go. As it unfurls mid-flight. Yeah. <laughs> and uses its half-formed bat wings to finish things off. I love it. But you probably knew some of that. That's what drew you into the concept. So what we want to do here is make your familiar so much more than just that tool and really bring them to life in the game. Well, I think we need an example. So you alluded to one of your characters earlier, but I think we should stick to that throughout the entire episode. Sounds good to me. I very much like this character. Why don't you give us a rundown of who Engen is? Well, he's a cautious arcane trickster rogue. That's his primary character trait that we're going to be talking about. But he's an outcast of Goliath's society because he's got no markings. And he just didn't really fit into the whole macho brute mentality. He's kind of a chicken shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's absolutely terrified. He takes a lot of safety precautions. And <laughs> before descending the mountain, he will fully and completely create himself his own harness out of rope. Yeah, as all the other heroes are rappelling off the edge. He's <laughs> very cinematically. He's just, oh, careful, easy does it, one step at a time. That gave him real heroic moments when he stepped outside of his normal behavior. Ooh, see, sounds like we walk our talk sometimes. Yeah. But let's talk about his familiar. His familiar is a trash cat. Yes, that's it's correct. It's a patchy, ugly, <laughs> disgusting cat, as is most of your characters. They usually have this like down and out kind of flavor. They're either doddering old folks or they're, <laughs> they, they've got something. They've got some malady. Yeah, I've got a type. <laughs> But yes, his familiar usually took the form of one of those naked cats. Maybe he's got some patches of fur left. Yeah. Not sure if it was born that way. Yeah, or... it's not a sphinx cat. It's a cat with mange. <laughs> don't don't get the two confused. <laughs> well, he's not a very good magic user. He's usually only able to bring diseased and ill <laughs> familiars into the world. Okay? It's not got his it. fault. He's doing his best. <laughs> Well, in order to really punch up your familiar, we're going to go through a couple of steps. We're going to determine a relationship type. Then we're going to give it a trait that you can lean into. We're going to engage it with others in the party. And then we're going to determine its story. All right. Sounds like we can do this. Let's start off with determining that relationship type. So to keep it simple, we want to consider one of two goals for our familiars. Goal one is, does it want to help the character? Or goal two, does it want to be dismissed by your character when it's brought into the world? And sure, you could go in a lot more directions than this, but if you start with this, you can kind of develop it through the game. Yeah. Now, I do, I do want to point out, the vast majority of familiars are probably there to help your PC. You know, they're, they're there to help your character accomplish its goals, let's hope that the vast majority that you summon are kind of like you. Right. They've got some element of you in them kind of thing. Yeah. Like, they're there to help. Absolutely. They're not going to work against you or the party. Don't do that for comedic effect because you have to be on board. 
That being said, I do love the idea of a begrudging familiar. Yeah, right? It creates a lot more conflict that's just there for you to tap into as a player. So I think for Engen, he's going to have a begrudging cat, absolutely. Because like I said, he's kind of new to the magic that he's exploring. So this kind of just makes sense. He'd always be trying to get it calmed down as it went into a little ball of chaos after it came into the world. (laughs) I like that. It's like pulling a cat out of a bag that's been recently shaken. Like that cat is coming out hot. Yeah. (laughs) It is, you know, just guns blazing. It's got the zoomies for sure. Yeah, it's it's probably (laughs) scratching you up a little bit. It might attack you very briefly. Yeah. Totally. Engen is a cat owner that's got tons of scratches. He doesn't <laughs> know how to. I love, you know, that like some people are like, I love my cat. You yeah. know, the cat cat folks are always like, I love my cat and I would kill for him. Mm-hmm. And then there's other cat folks that seem to be being held hostage by their <laughs> own pet. Like they've just got scratches. Like, are you okay? Like blink twice if you need someone yeah. to come and rescue you from your own cat. There's no professionals to turn to in this situation. I can't call the cops. <laughs> I can't call a doctor. They're what just do do? covered in scratches and nicks and bites. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's him. He'd try to speak calmly, get low, all kinds of tactics to win it over after it comes into the world. <laughs> I just love that this cat hates him. <laughs> like, this is one of those situations. It's kind of like, uh, you know, C-3PO and R2-D2. Your character is the stuck up. Like, I'm going to do things the right way. And this yeah. cat is just like, I mean, I can come or go. <laughs> I'm here. You brought me here. You've got some kind of intent. But like, I'm a, I'm my own creature. Yeah. You know. R2 has always had you know, the entire plot figured out in R2's brain. C-3PO is usually dumb to it. Yeah, 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 that's true. And, you know, if C-3PO happens to be at that story moment, R2 is going there regardless because he knows how this is supposed to play out. (laughs) You know, the cat that's staring down the owner, twitching its tail, and as soon as the owner goes for it, it just darts. (laughs) And I think it works so beautifully because... How many cats do you know that have absolutely zero respect for the like that's that's all cats. Yeah. All cats think they're smarter than the people that are taking care of them. <laughs> exactly. They're always just looking down their nose at you. And if this one's an actual magical being that's more intelligent than an average cat. Right. Absolutely it's going to be that. Yeah. All right, so the next step here is give it a trait. So we've talked about traits a lot in the past. We've talked about giving your character various traits, some that are heroic and some that work against that heroism to give you a little bit of irony, a little bit of drama to play up in your character. Yeah. In this case, I think what we're advocating is a trait. Like it's this is where I tend to go inadvertently of going, oh, I'm going to make this thing really dynamic. Well, no. Because we don't want the familiar to become so unwieldy and such a big part of who this character is that we end up not using it. So leaning into one single trait that potentially contrasts your own character that is summoning it is a great way of not letting it grow into something that is so big that you just can't deal with it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like you said, the trait... It can be contrasting one of your character's traits, 
Or it can just be, you can think of it like amplifying a trait. So either it's the opposite or it's very much in line with and it's highlighting that trait of your hero. I really like that because then all we have to do is look at the traits that we chose for our character. We don't have to pick new ones. We just have to look at those traits and go, am I going to lean into or am I going to lean away from? Yeah, because there's definitely nothing wrong with that image of like the wizard that's super in tune with their familiar as a wizard should be, right? Right. That's just not what Ingen's about. So what are you going to do with your <laughs> uh, patchy haired cat? I think the cat has to be reckless to contrast Ingen's cautious nature. Mm, I like that. We already kind of touched on that in the descriptions, but if I've got that in my head for all of its interactions. It's going to make Engen look more cautious by the way that he responds to the cat. Right. And the way I see this playing out for the cat is like maybe he'll calmly approach NPCs only to, you know, <laughs> to a furious little swat at them. I love this because, you know, commonly what we're using familiars for is to use as advanced scouts. You know, we'll send them into the dungeon or around the corner or into the room in advance of the rest of the party to scout things out. It's a great use of a familiar. Now, typically, this relationship would be, okay, animal, please go into this room ahead of me. Engen is not that kind of person. The cat is. And so the cat, very much like most cats, don't give a fuck. Not only is Engen not sending it into the room, the cat is just going on its own and going for a sniff or a look or whatever, and Engen's desperately trying to see through its perception yeah. in advance of it. Like, oh God, it's in there. I guess I might as well see what's in there. Oh God, here I go. <laughs> um, you know, just trying to keep up with what the cat wants to do because mm -hmm. the cat doesn't give a shit. Absolutely. And like, they still have that telepathic bond so he can be trying to influence the cat's behavior. <laughs> right. But like you as a DM in that situation could even use that as like a, if my cat rolls a stealth check and it fails, then you can say, a rat runs across the room rather than, you know, someone looks at it. Right. Yeah. Another fun little detail I'm imagining is in tense situations, the cat would build up to a bit of a frenzy with that long cat sound. You know, the one they make right before they're going to tangle with another cat. Like maybe that's the Hold precursor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see that being the precursor to fights encounters that end up in a fight right when things are about to pop off i think you need to name your cat old long johnson <laughs> i guess so <laughs> oh, if you haven't heard the clip you're gonna have to google it old long johnson you'll find it <laughs> it's not what you think it is <laughs> all right so then i need to figure out how my cat's going to engage with others this is really about choosing another party member with a trait that is in either in line with or kind of conflicting with, who is the other party member, in your case, that displays some lack of caution? Perhaps in order to, you know, combat the challenge that we typically have of the rest of the party not really giving a shit about our familiar. The familiar is there as your tool yeah. of the trade, not as mine as well. And there's not much for me to roleplay as. It's seen as a spell, not as a character in the world right but if you choose one particular other party member let's say the rogue who acts without a lot of caution yeah that cat has a lot of respect for the rogue now 
And now you can you have a lot of role play options to say, yeah, the cat is actually going to sleep with you at night, not me, because it really doesn't <laughs> like me. And in dangerous situations, I can still be playing Angan as cautious, but I have the ability now to engage with the rogue who's being very bold and brash and going into places he shouldn't. Well, the cat's right there with him. The cat is going to deliver your touch spell attack in defense of the rogue the next time the rogue gets into trouble. Yeah, and I even like this because often in games with familiars, you've got a choice between sending in the rogue or the familiar. Well, if we lean into the roleplay of it a bit more, they can go in together and they can actually bolster each other's skills. I can be reporting to the rest of the party, cats on the rogue's shoulder, they're going in together. Right, and now we're helping the party at least some members of the party form a bit more of a bond with our otherwise incredibly forgettable familiar. And it even pulls Angan into those situations if things pop off because he's trying to save his cat. Right. With cautious characters, you often have that danger of, you know, they need to have a reason to engage with the story. The cat gives Angan a reason to always engage. Correct. Yeah, that's a great point. So the next thing we need to do is figure out how it comes into this world, we need to determine its summon. Right, and that first time you cast the spell, like we've talked about with other spells, is probably going to be a moment. When you introduce a new ability, there's a lot you can do with it, but then after that, you kind of need to create a shorthand, something interesting that lets everybody know that, okay, the familiar is here. Right, so the very first time we get the find familiar spell, and we summon this thing into the world, we're going to go over the top. We're going to describe the celestial rays that allow this thing to come into the world, or that it steps through a rainbow that you cast, or something. <laughs> like, we're going to add a lot of flavor to that spell. But, like you say, if we are continuing to do this every single time we summon that creature, that might get a little bit repetitive, a little bit boring. So... That shorthand, I feel, is really, really powerful as it's a, a whistle or it's a part of that ritual. But now we can just do the shorthand to build up the anticipation. Yeah. I think what we're kind of going for is once the party has seen that initial spell cast, that incredibly detailed, you know, you're going to add a lot of pizzazz in there, but then you're going to take one detail of that ritual and that will be your summon every time from then on. And this really helps the rest of the party get excited and get jazzed. And oh, shit, the cat's back. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. A couple of things that might spark ideas for your familiar are like, is it a smooth or a chaotic process? Is your spellcaster in control of the situation or is it magic? hardly contained. Like if you've got a warlock and you're bringing in your familiar, this might be a terrifying process. Yeah. Is it like a portal that's crackling with energy and like shooting off beams as the demonic raven flies through? Well, definitely, especially when you have to cut your own hand every time and drop some blood into yeah. that brazier. And does it leave the familiar frazzled or ready for action? I think it's something to think about. Like, is it sprinting or flying into the scene in an epic way? Or is it tumbling into the scene because you just pulled it from whatever it was doing? Yeah. From whatever reality. <laughs> yeah, I love that. 
So for Engin, of course, you know the direction that this is going, but the spell is kind of janky. So the original spell, I think, I'm picturing a bit of a, a dome he sets up. He sets up the perimeter where the cat's going to come into existence. And this whole spell starts with its bones. And it's starting to inhabit its physical form from the very start. But these bones are kind of like pacing around the Ooh, circle. I like it. it, it ani- the, it's bones animate. Yeah. Right. And so I can see when Engen needs to bring it back into the world. He, he's got a cat skeleton on him at all times. And he kind of hucks it out like a Pokemon. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just bones. And then, yeah, like you say, as that magic ritual takes place, which the spell casting takes an hour to complete. Sure, it's it's coming into existence as instantaneous. From its, yeah, from its pocket dimension where you tucked it away. Right. But summoning it takes a long time. So you've got this cat skeleton that's pacing around underneath, um, what is it, like a cage you're thinking? I'm thinking kind of like a very rough magical dome that's energy is like, it's going in and out. Okay, I see. As you're watching it pace, it's, you know, its tendons are starting to form. Yeah. Yeah. And it it really does set up the cat as a more malevolent creature. (laughs) Like, it's kind of foreboding. It's kind of creepy. Whereas if you were trying to do any other kind of familiar, you might find a more charming process for this to take. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Not very nice. If Engen wants to pull it out of its pocket dimension while the rest of the party's having a chat, he's taking his little cat bones and like propping them up and starting to build his cat. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Well, I don't know. I think that we have a lot more than just a regular cat summon at this point. But not so much that it feels overwhelming to play. Right. And the reason it doesn't is because we've broken it down into those really, really simple steps. So we want to, one, determine a relationship type that it has with your character. Number two, you want to just give it a single trait. Number three, figure out how it engages with someone else or multiple people within the party. And then four is determine its summon. What does that look like? And as a reminder, you can use these exact same steps to flesh out a pet that you have or your mount. You know, like we mentioned in the beginning, these same steps can be used in a lot of different ways. Totally. The ranger's animal companion. Right. And after you do those basic steps, that's where all of that flavor starts coming to mind. And there's so many options and potentials. So we're going to dive into a little bit more of that in Grandma B's schoolhouse. Folks come here to Grandma B's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. So you typically do most of our research. I know Grandma B's schoolhouse is generally just a vehicle for us to talk about weird facts that we found in the process of writing an episode. (laughs) Yeah, sure, whatever. There's a point to it, Travis. (laughs) Well, the point of this one is that, okay, so like we talked about in the last segment, you know, those are the core building blocks. But let's say you want to take it one step further. You want to add some more role play to your character, I think there is some extra role play elements that you can add on to your familiar, to your pet, whatever the case may be. That are still really simple. 
And so this is that one extra step that is still dead simple, dead easy. So what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about one special tool to add on to taking care of your familiar, one weird behavior of the familiar, and then a kind of human interaction. How does it interact with certain humans? And this segment was born because seeing that list of like 25 dozen animals. <laughs> There's so many. was very inspiring because there's so many weird animal facts and details you could pepper in there. Right. There are very few ways that you can flavor fireball. Right. It's a fireball. <laughs> this one is just like, hey, you can conjure literally anything. Yeah. Anything your hearts desire. Anything you can see in your mind's eye. And also, here's a whole list of animals to get you started. Right. That list really is just a suggestion because if you've got a DM that when you say, hey, uh, I like this, but can I run a chipmunk animal companion? And they say no, that is some wild controlling shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Right. Because you can say, hey, you know what? I want a uh, praying mantis. Cool. We're going to layer that on top of the crab stats. Right. Because these animal stats, they're like dead simple. There's nothing to them that is game breaking. So don't worry about that part of it. Yeah. So let's let's run through that list. Let's try to put these into practice. So we've got a special tool, a weird behavior and a human interaction on the bat. Go. <laughs> oh, wow. OK. Well, I mean, got to start with the weird behavior. I think this one's pretty cool. Bat calls are ultrasonic, right? We can't hear them. Yeah. But. Scientists have figured out that if we could, they'd be loud as shit. We're talking 137 decibels loud. Jesus. For perspective, a jet engine is 120 and 150 is probably going to burst your eardrums. So wait, just because they're in a different frequency range that we can't hear. Exactly. That's the only reason we're not nearly bursting our eardrums. Every time a bat goes. <laughs> That's a perfect. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. For a special tool, bats have a special need for when they sleep. You need something cavernous for right. them to sleep in to be comfortable. Yeah, and I think bird cages drive birds insane, but for a bat, that might work out. It's well, it's a it's a bird cage or your butthole. <laughs> Gross. Moving on quickly. <laughs> Let's not let Travis talk about that. Guess what I have roosted in my keister. <laughs> God. And a human interaction with a bat isn't that, but it might be something like rustling and nestling into people's hair. That's great because that's one of those things that allows every other character on in the party to have an opinion on. Like they can each choose how they want to interact with it in that sense. You know, you might have some characters on the team that hate it. Yeah. When that bat crawls up the back of their neck and just tries to hang inside their hair and stay protected and dark. Yeah. Or you might have someone that, of course, loves it and is totally <laughs> cool with the bat hanging out there. Party druids. Yeah, for sure. All right. OK, cool. So moving on, we've got cat. We've talked this entire episode about cat. How much more do you really have to add? Well, I mean, I just want to throw in that Engen's uh, cat could definitely be one of those violent gift givers to the different party members. Mm, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> Viciously disemboweled animals <laughs> as gifts. Jordan and I grew up uh, for a time um, living on a farm 
in rural Idaho and we had a farm cat that left me uh, dead mice for me to step in every morning on the floor right in front of my bed. One of Travis's traumatizing uh, early experiences in life. I'm glad we opened that door. Yeah. Thank you. As a special tool for the cat, I know this from personal experience, but when you got to get the cat's attention, you need one of those toys on a wand so it dangles from it and you can move it much faster, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of to like lure it back in for Ankin at least. Got it. Or yeah. a laser pointer of some kind. You're probably a <laughs> wizard, right? Prestidigitation. <laughs> yeah. Pulling it back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could even, for that wand, you could ask your DM for the stats of a whip and actually use it as a weapon. Yeah, that's true. It doubles. <laughs> I think we could spend a long, like, I don't know if we have enough time to go into every creature. <laughs> this is this is going to be a long episode. So one thing that you can think of for crabs. Crabs have one bigger claw, and they wave them around to threaten enemies and attract mates. They can also regrow their claws, which I think is kind of neat. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But I see this as the source of their magic. I mean, if I had a crab familiar, I'd have those claws glow. And when I cast spells through the crab... That claw would glow and pop off and the crab would kind of just like scuttle away. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It's just like comes in, detonates and then leaves. (laughs) Good. For frogs, I really, I would be over the moon if the whole party just kind of got into licking toads (laughs) and getting high on down times. Frogs have magic on them and in the real world. Yeah. They got that. Yeah. You got, you know, you lick toads to get yeah. high. <laughs> Psychedelic ooze. Hawks have a tool built in because you've got uh, falconers that have those really badass big gloves. And you've also got the hawk uh, hood that you could work into how you, you know, summon them or send them into your pocket dimension. Right. I, you know, finding a way to work that uh, falconer's glove right into your armor that's a really cool way of doing that. Yeah. And also going and fetching you and your party dinner is a great way of adding that interaction into the party. You know, of your character asking some other party member, what do you want for dinner? Do you want rabbit or do you want fish? Yeah. Because the hawk's just about to go and get it. And it's worked into your downtime. It's a part of your party's routine. Right. Like that. I mean, the octopus. Just go and watch my octopus teacher. If you don't have ideas coming out of that documentary i don't know what to do for you but you know stuff that comes to mind right away as far as like an interaction what about shifting wild colors like they're able to do that camouflage and they do it really quickly and to explain why for some reason your octopus is far more perceptive than your own character when that octopus passes that perception check and gets a 20, whereas the rest of the party whiffs, it starts flashing all kinds of colors in the little jar of seawater that it sits in hanging off your hip when it's not in use. Nice. Yeah, I like that. That'd be a cool wizard. Every one of these animals just evokes like imagining it on your character. It's just so cool. Yeah. How does it live? And I know that you can dismiss them with just a quick single action. But is it more fun to keep them around? Yeah. Is it more fun to get them to interact with the party and really start to lean into their personalities? 
because if they actually like their familiar, they would only dismiss them when they had to, whenever there's a no pets policy in a restaurant. Right. The weirdest one, I got to point this out, the weirdest one on this list, I want to know if you've ever played with this familiar, but seahorse. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how you pulled that one off. At least an octopus seems fairly versatile. Eight legs, it's doing all kinds of stuff, it's highly intelligent. I mean, the idea of this seahorse just hanging out on your hip in the same kind of scenario as the octopus <laughs> in a jar of seawater. You're right. What is that seahorse really doing? And when it's not in that little bag, like, sure, if you're underwater, it's jetting around. But like an octopus, I can kind of see being OK on land as a magic creature. It's got the limbs to move. Yeah. But a seahorse, <laughs> seahorse is, I mean, the same is true for the fish. Sure. Is that? Yeah. Oh, no, I guess you're right. Quipper. You can do a quipper. (laughs) Seahorses are just absurd creatures. Deadly in the water, flopping around with this little jaws snapping on land. Yeah. Maybe you've got it on a rope and you're using it like one of those (laughs) martial arts weapons that you fling out. (laughs) Nice. That's all I got. (laughs) Right on. Well, I really don't know that we have the time to go through rat, raven, spider, weasel, and the multitudes of other styles and flavors that you could throw on top of your magical, wonderful familiar. But I hope that that gave you more ideas on how you can make your familiar more interactable, more a central part of your party, and more a part of the story that people actually care about, that people are worried about. And make your character more interesting too. And now we started uh, doing something a little new when it comes to writing because our patrons are oh so wonderful and oh so filled with their own great ideas. Yeah. Much more clever than us in some regards. (laughs) Many regards. Many regards. Most regards, really. So what we wanted to do was draw some of our patrons in to the actual creation and writing of the episodes. So now on our monthly patron exclusive hangout, we start to ideate on what we're going to talk about in some of these episodes. We start to build the the basic foundations of what these episodes become. So thank you very, very much to the three contributors that attended this particular session on Find Familiar. And thanks for all of your ideas and thoughts and feedback. Lila G, Leprechaun, and Dangerous Marmalade. Thank you all so much for joining. And as always, a huge thank you to all of the patrons that help make these episodes possible with their support. And a special welcome to a new patron. Thank you for throwing your hat into the ring and helping us make these episodes. Victoria O. And to our regular patrons, Josh M. DM Thunderbum. Marley R. Gar the Pirate. Time Warp. Nico Y. Zach G. No Man. Michelle T. Alan E. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join that awesome community of players and DMs by joining our Discord or becoming a patron. And talking about your familiars, letting us know what moments help them so we can do it better. Thanks Thanks for listening, and and your butt is not a pocket dimension. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) 